0: turn from their wicked ways Oh. People which are called by my name, shall humble themselves shall humble.
1: any question, this is a time of crisis in the history of the United States. It is also a time of crisis in the history of the church in the world, but particularly the church in North America. I noticed where the latest Time magazine, which says, California's state of shock, describes the calamities that are coming to the American people at this time by the term plagues. Isn't it interesting? It talks about the plagues, and it compares these disasters to the plagues that came upon the ancient Egyptians. It said we have only two to go to catch up. It talks about the fires and the floods and the earthquakes and the riots, And it also talks about what could become a great disaster and that is the coming of another ice age. When just a few years ago scientists were predicting that the earth through the greenhouse effect was going to get hotter and hotter, now they're saying it may be reversed. I've noticed that as I've talked to people this week and last week in the hours after the first great a quake that came to this area, the 6.6, that fear seems to be pervading the lives of men and women. People are edgy and people are afraid. And people are saying, what next is going to happen to America? As I pointed out last Sabbath, up to 1987 there was only one disaster in the history of the American nation where the cost was a billion dollars. Since 1987 there have been nine disasters that have cost more than a billion dollars, and this disaster that has taken the lives of many people has destroyed thousands, tens of thousands of homes. This disaster is going to cost some thirty thousand million dollars. People ask the question, is there a way out What is the real significance of the things today that are happening in the world? And people frightened and scared who never go to church are coming to the place where they are asking the question, is there a word from the Lord? I believe there is. And I want you please to take your Bible today to turn to the passage that was the theme of the song that Pastor Bolt sang for us. I would like you please to turn to 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 and verses 12 to 14, 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 and verses 12 to 14 and I want to give a very warm welcome to our viewers on 3ABN, to Danny and Linda Shelton and to our supporters across California and across the United States of America. I want you please to notice 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12 and onwards. And this is in the context of the dedication of the temple. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen the place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when I shut up heaven and there is no rain I'll command the locusts to devour the land. Now who does the commanding there? You know this is a bit of a shock to some of us because most of us would think the devil did it. I believe there is some truth in this because I believe that God never sends a disaster but I believe that God is sovereign Lord and He allows these things to happen, and He does it for His glory. And so the bottom line is, God is in charge, and God does it. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, i command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. The Bible says, and this is a strong word today, the Bible says that disasters are in the hand of God, and disasters are sent to the world and to the church for a purpose. It is not a destructive purpose. The purpose of God in disasters is redemptive, so that people will listen to God and turn to Him. Now, firstly today, I want you to notice this this chapter and these verses specifically in the historical context. When God says here, if my people, Of whom is he referring? God is referring to the children of Israel who even have the name of God in their name. They were the people who were raised up by God's sovereign grace. They were not raised up because they were the greatest people or the most righteous people. They were raised up because of God's grace and His sovereignty and His mercy. And I am comforted by the expression, my friend, if... My people. Because here God takes ownership of those people. Those people were anything but a perfect people. But God says, if my people. I ask you today, have you ever met a mother with a little newborn baby who thought the baby was ugly? (laughs) Even the suggestion is enough to make people become angry, Rose. I, let, I, I haven't checked this one out with Beverly, but I'm going to say this because this is getting on, on very shaky ground. Get the pun? This is getting on very shaky ground. I have seen babies that I, in my masculinity and in my what should I say, lack of awareness, I've seen babies that I think are downright ugly. But I have never seen a mother who thought a baby was ugly. Because really, what is beauty and what is ugliness anyhow? And because that baby is hers, I can never forget, Beverly, on one occasion overseas, I was attending a ceremony in a great church and they were holding up this little baby boy. I took a picture of him. I thought he was so unique. (laughs) But the mother was there and she was so proud. Why? Because the baby boy was so beautiful. Because he was her baby. God says, these are my people. And even though they have got their blemishes, And even though they have their sins, God says, if my people. Doesn't that give you comfort? That when God looks upon his people, he says, I accept them and I take ownership for them because I died for them. And so the text says, if my people who are called by my name. So that's the first thing I want you to know. God says, my people. But now I want you to notice a very important eternal truth. Listen to this. There is a distinct and clear relationship between peace, spiritual and physical prosperity and walking with God. Now I don't know if you got this. But there is a definite relationship between peace, spiritual and physical prosperity and walking with God. When my people, as God calls us, when God's people walk with God, then God will bless them. When Israel walked in all his ways, and when Israel was faithful to the everlasting covenant, God gave them great prosperity, and they became a happy and a healthy nation. Now I'm going to clarify this as I go along because I'm going to make it very plain that not all calamities happen only to sinful people. I want you to know that. Calamities come to the greatest of the saints and I'm going to magnify that today. I want you to know this. But nevertheless, when Israel walked in all his ways and obeyed the word of God and were faithful to God, they were blessed and they became a mighty nation with health and peace and prosperity. And when they turned from God, he sent them plagues to wake them up. Now I want you please to come back to our text, which is Second Chronicles chapter 7, because we're going to read, dear friends, a little further on in the passage. Second Chronicles chapter 7, and I want you please to notice with me verse 14. And onwards, I'm going to read a lengthy passage, and if you have a Bible, please notice the text, because I want you to be readers of the Bible, not listeners simply to a man. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually, God said about His temple. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and do according to all that I commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall never fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. Now listen to this, because here is a change of expression. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land which I have given them. And this house which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all the nations, God says. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and this house? Then they will answer, Why? Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. I want you to remember that expression, my beloved friends. May it be written in your mind today. Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore he has brought all this calamity upon them. Uh, let me tell you something, I've had some wonderful privileges and wonderful experiences. I will never forget when I first visited the old land of Iraq, or Mesopotamia as it was called by the ancients. The land of the Babylonians. I will never forget going to the city of Babylon and seeing there the great, the great street through the city of Babylon. And remembering that along that street, two and a half thousand years ago, the children of Israel were led captive. And when I read in my Bible about why the children of God were led captive, I was told, because they forsook the Holy Covenant. That's why the children of God were taken as captives to the land of the Chaldeans. And remember, when the evil were taken captive, so were the good. Because there in their midst were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so the good were forced to suffer with the evil. I have visited the city of Nineveh. I've walked up and down the streets of old Nineveh. And I remember that it was uh, the great Shalmaneser and, and Sennacherib who came against the children of Israel and who broke down the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And when I read my Bible, the Bible says they were handed over into the hand of the Assyrians because they forsook the God of their fathers. When I was there in Nineveh, when I was in Baghdad, I was taken through this great museum and they showed me the ivories that were taken out of King Ahab's palace. These you've all heard of Ahab's ivory palace. I have seen the ivories which are now in the land of Iraq. And why are they there? Because the children of God had forsaken their God and he handed them over into the hand of their enemy. It makes you think. You see, my friend, the Bible tells me that disaster always followed national apostasy. Is this word too strong for you today? The Bible tells me that in the history of Israel and in the history of every nation, disaster follows national apostasy. And so God sent a message to His people and He He said, I love you. I want you to know this. You may be ugly, but I love you. And you are my people. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Let me say this very plainly so that no person misunderstands or becomes discouraged. Listen, not all calamity and suffering are the result of personal sin. The greatest saints have endured the greatest suffering. You hear this? Job, the apostles, the church in Russia, the 60,000 that I referred to last Last Sabbath, the 60,000, including many Christians, who were thrown into a bloody pit in St. Petersburg in 1938. Was it January 29? I spoke about it last week. Then I can think of my friend Gwen, who was stricken with cancer, whose death was prolonged for seven years, and she went through hell, and I have never known a better person. And so I want you to know today that calamities and cancers and sufferings are not always the result of our personal sin. The greatest of the saints often suffer the greatest. But I want you to know this, whenever there is national apostasy and spiritual apostasy in the church, God is going to send us wake-up calls. If my people who are called by my name. That's what the Bible says. Now, I've tried to give you the historical context. Let me bring it now and make some present-day applications. Let me talk about the great American nation. Let me preface my words by saying that While I'm not an American, I love the American nation, and I love the American people. I want you to know that I hold this nation in the highest esteem, or else I would not be working here. I believe that this nation, in a unique sense, has been my people, God's people. And I will tell you why, and you should know this far better than I do. When the Pilgrim Fathers came to this country, they came with the best motives. They sought a faith's pure shrine. That's why they came. I have gone to Plymouth Rock, and I've gone there to meditate and pray and to think of the divine providences of God. As a person who loves the Bible prophecies, when I have studied the Bible prophecies, I have even, and many share my conclusions, I have discovered, along with many of my colleagues, the story of American Bible prophecy. I believe that this is a nation that was distinctly my people, raised up by God. When I read the great prophecy, and we shall not do so today, of Revelation chapter 12, that describes the church in the wilderness, that describes God's people back in old England, and the Waldenses, and the rest of those fearless saints, And the Bible says in Revelation 12, the earth helped the woman. And when it appeared as though the church in old Europe was going to be wiped off the face of the earth through the onslaughts of the dragon, God raised up America. America was raised up to be, in a very special sense, my people. A people who would be true, to God, and even though they would not set up a theocracy, they would be a people who would protect the gospel and uphold the teachings of the Bible. And so, while I am not an American, if I were, I would be proud to be an American. Let me say this to you. Have you ever wondered and some of you may find it hard to believe this, have you ever wondered why has God blessed America? Why has this country attained to such a high level of of attainment? Why has this country developed possibly the, the highest standard of living in the history of the human race? Why is this so? I will tell you why. God has blessed America. God has blessed America in spite of her sins, in spite of our sins. What I'm going to say today I know on occasions makes some people angry with me because I think I should not say it particularly because I'm an Australian, but I am one with you more today than I've ever been, as you will discover in two weeks' time. because I was called to this country with a special mission for the American people, who are my brothers and sisters. I believe today that there is a war, a satanic war, against the American nation. I have never believed it was the war from the Russians. I've never believed that. I've known all along that communism is a horrendous power and I have opposed it with all my heart and uh, baptize quite a few of them. Glory be to God. But the great war that has been waged against America has not been from the Communists, it has been from people within America. It has been said, whenever a nation is destroyed, it is not destroyed by people from without, but by people from within. Whenever a nation is is destroyed, whenever it is destroyed, it is destroyed by corruption within. This is what happened to Israel. And there is a war against America. I spoke partially on this when I spoke about Hollywood's hyenas, and quoted the book, Hollywood Against America. Because there are uh, elements of society in this great nation that have one pledge, one great vow, and that is to destroy the faith of our fathers and make us a nation of humanists and secularists and atheists. I believe that there is a satanic warfare against this great land. And this war has gone on for many, many years. And what is the result, I ask you today, of this war? I want to quote Dr. Stanley. I quoted him once before, and I don't do this to offend you, but I say it because it is the truth. Dr. Stanley, a great American preacher, said, The USSR has gone, Russia, they have been defeated. And he said, we are the last great superpower. That's what the Bible says. I can show you where the Bible says that America is the last great superpower. And then after this, there is another kingdom, the kingdom of God. Mm, I believe that. But Dr. Stanley said, with the collapse of the communist bloc, America is number one. And that great American said to a hushed congregation. He said, number one in murders. Number one in abortions. Number one in street violence. Number one in the taking of drugs. And he said, what has happened to the faith of our fathers? Now some of you folks will remember Jay. And uh, I think it's Carolyn who used to sit here down the front of the church. They called me last night and they said, Pastor Carter, you know we've stopped coming to church. You baptized us. And we've been thinking about you and Beverly and we wonder how you're getting on in the earthquake. And we said, just fine. How are you getting on? They said, we're leaving. I said, why are you leaving? They said, we're so scared. I said, why are you scared? They said, because of what is happening to our society. We were mugged a few weeks ago. Uh, Jay was attacked. We were attacked, surrounded by three young men with knives, and they slashed Jay. And she said, what is happening to, Pastor Gatto, she said, what is happening to our society? She said, we no longer feel safe anywhere we go. And she said, it has become a jungle. I will tell you what has happened, my friend, because of secularism and humanism and plain old materialism and worldliness, we have forsaken the faith of our fathers. We have turned away from the Lord our God And God is sending us wake-up calls. Why is the church not shouting this from the housetops? What is happening in, in the world today that God is sending these things, not in wrath, but God is sending these things with a message, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I want to say... God will not be mocked forever. Abraham Lincoln said the words when he spoke about slavery. He said, when I think about slavery, how in this country men have made slaves of their brothers. He said, when I think of this, I think that God is just. And Abraham Lincoln said, and justice will not sleep forever. I want you to know this, that God is just and justice will not sleep forever and we are seeing the first of the warning signals coming from the throne of God. Let me tell you something, some good news. I'm not ashamed to say that I consider this good news. Did you know that in the San Fernando Valley the factories that turn out 90% of the pornography, the dirty, filthy, debased movies about little boys and little girls. Ninety percent of America's pornography industry was sitting at the epicenter, glory be to God. And most of it, most of it was destroyed. Most of it was destroyed. Time magazine said, Time magazine listed it. Most of it destroyed. You know why God destroyed it? You know why God just dis- shook up those directors? Not because he hates them, because he loves them. And he's trying to get their attention. If my people you say, what is the what is the solution to our problems in America? as a nation. I will tell you, it is plain. It is not socialism. No, no, no. It's not more money for the cities. It is not more welfare. Did you hear that? I know that doesn't please a lot of people but it's the truth. Did you know that since the days of Lyndon Baines Johnson this country has spent 30,000 million dollars on welfare and people are poorer. And what we are doing is we are making people addicted to handouts instead of hand up. There is only one solution to poverty and crime and drug taking and evil and wickedness, and that is the Holy Word of God. It is a return to God. What should we do? What should we do? We should pray for President Clinton, we should pray for the governors. You say the church should not be interested in the state. I want to tell you we ought to be interested in everybody. We ought to pray that God will speak to the hearts of leaders and that men and women will turn to God. If my people who are called by my name. You say it will never happen. You don't know. It happened with Nineveh. God's people in this time of national crisis ought to pray for their country. Pray for America, I say. Let me talk now about the church. What I'm going to say, I say as a member of the church. I believe that God is going to send judgments upon the church starting in North America. Now I will tell you why. I do not wish to offend you or to make you madder with me than some already are. I believe, listen to me, I believe that the church, the church, I'm talking about the whole of the Christian church, including my own. I believe that the church is largely failing to fulfill its mission. I believe that the church has become largely an organization that is filled with sectarianism and commercialism. I believe that the church in North America has become, as people call it, the Jesus business. I believe that for multitudes of people in the church, the church exists for one purpose, and that is to make money out of people and of people. Why do so many people turn away from the church? Why is the church abhorrent in the nostrils of so many? It is because they have smelt money instead of God. This is one of the problems. The church today are the church members are often as immoral as people in the world. Today the church is very different from the people out there in the world. You know it is true. The church, and listen to this, because it is the truth, it is unpopular to say it, I will say it. The church has largely become the center of power plays and political ploys where people sit around and they talk about how they can feather their own nest and how they can get more of a shrinking financial pie in the church. Why does the church exist? Now listen very carefully to me. The church exists for one supreme purpose. Here it is. The church exists for one supreme purpose the public and the private proclamation of the everlasting gospel. Amen. We do not exist simply as an outlet for welfare, though I believe we should do that for the poor. But I believe that God has given to the church a great and a holy mission. That is why 3ABN exists. That is why we exist. God has called the church for one great purpose, the preaching of the gospel, and those who fail to uphold the mission of the church are traitors to Christ. Something awful has happened to the church in North America. I believe today, and I say this with world leaders, that the church, every church, including the Adventist church, I include the Baptist church, I include the Charismatics, but I include specifically the Adventist church of which I am a member. The church in North America stands in urgent need of revival and reformation. Great turning back to God, if my people who are called by my name. I'm going to tell you something which will shock a few of you. When I first went to Russia and saw how communism operated, the vast bureaucracy... The inefficiency, the deadliness of the system, I saw a parallel between that system and the institutionalized church in the Western world. Dr. Russell Owen said it to me, a faithful Adventist from Texas, he said, this reminds you of institutionalized Christianity where everybody is busy talking and planning, but no preaching and no money, no money swallowed up. I will always admire Mikhail Gorbachev because of his courage to bring about glasnost and perestroika. I have written an article entitled, tried to get it published without any success, entitled Does the Church Need Glasnost and Perestroika? You know what Glasnost means? It means openness, honesty, willingness to look, willingness to see. It is opening the eyes in a spiritual sense. We call it revival. And then perestroika. What is perestroika? A restructuring of the old system so that it is effective in preaching the gospel. I say today the church needs glasnost and perestroika, and the church, my people, need a holy revolution, such as is happening in Russia. We need a holy revolution. Revolution. My friend Dr. George Knight from Andrews University has summed it up well in his controversial article that was courageously published in the pages of the Review and Herald. And the article by George Knight is, listen to it, it is called, The Fat Lady and the Kingdom. Oh, it's a great article, and he refers it to the Adventist church. And he says, we have become the fat lady. And he says, the kingdom of God is likened unto a fat lady with many packages who would enter the door into the kingdom. But she cannot get through the door because she has so many packages that are impeding her progress. And she wants to go into the kingdom, but she doesn't want to give up the packages. And so he said, the fat lady who was perspiring Uh, very much and who is very frustrated and who stands at the door impatiently saying, let me in Lord, cannot enter because she's got too many packages in her chubby little fingers. Now I say to you, the word of the Lord to the church is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. God is trying to send to America and God is trying to send to the Community Adventist Fellowship and God is trying to send to the Southern California Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. God is trying to send to the Baptist Church. God is trying to send to the prosperity gospel people a wake-up call so that we can let go of the packages and enter the kingdom. It's hard, isn't it, when many of us want to have it so and we are entrenched in our frigidity and we call it holiness. As Scrooge said, it's not holiness, it's humbug. Would you please come to Revelation 3 and verse 14 and onwards, dear hearts and gentle people. Now that was the soft part, the strong part is still to come. Revelation chapter 3, and verse 14, and onwards. So I say today we need perestroika, and we need Glassnost, and let us start with me. Revelation 3 verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, Alan White says this message, while it refers to Christendom, refers specifically to the Adventist church. These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. The problem with this church is that it is self-sufficient. This is the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son, the elder brother who despises others because of his own self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. I am rich and increased with goods. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garment, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. There is the glasnost. As many as I love my people, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me." So I've applied it so far in three ways. Firstly, to ancient Israel historically, but experientially to the American people as a nation, my people. Number two, God's church in North America and the world But thirdly, if my people, that is me, the individual, and that is you. I want to ask you today, just listen to me. I want to ask you today, has the light gone out of your soul? Do you personally have an experience with Christ? Or are you trembling every time there's a little tremor? Every time you tremble, you're really saying, I am an unbeliever. These tremors are God's way of getting our attention. These earthquakes are God's hand on our shoulder. Saying, turn around. Do you need to turn around? Do you need a change in your life? you need to be born again? Do you need to have a genuine Christian experience whether you are ninety or nine? Two weeks ago when I was in St. Petersburg, Russia, I saw something beautiful, the great Winter Palace, the greatest museum in the world, some of the greatest paintings. And I went into the Rembrandt room. There is a vast room that has nothing but paintings from the great master Rembrandt. And there is one there that is wonderful. Preserved, of course, during the time of communism. There is the painting that is called The Prodigal. Great painting. Huge. By Rembrandt. Rembrandt, of course, was the master of caroscuro, the balance of light and darkness. Let me describe the painting to you. There is an old, obviously Jewish man, and he's, he's leaning forward like this. I studied his face. I couldn't get away from the old man. There is the old man, thinning hair, large nose, and he's leaning over, and he's peering, and there is a boy, not a boy, but a man, and he's kneeling before him, one shoe on and one shoe off, and the sole of the foot that has no shoe is cracked and very dirty. He's been doing a lot of hard, dirty work. And the young man is clothed in a suit which is torn and filthy. He is tatters; You can't see his face. But the old man has his hands on his shoulders and he's peering at the boy and looking into his face. And standing in the shadows... There is a finely dressed young man, with an imperious look. Not a bad young man, very good, because he never went with the harlots. He's standing there and he represents the church. The church of Laodicea, the elder brother. The one who does not make it finally to the kingdom only individuals do. Because the only way into the kingdom of God is to come as the prodigal, to come with the shoe off, and to come with the broken clothes, and to come with the tears, and to come with the sweat. And the great painting by the great master says a great deal about God. The old father was saying, My boy, in spite of it all, in spite of the harlots, in spite of the pigs, in spite of the filth, my boy, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Amen. Please pray. We thank you, our Father, for talking to these cold, hard hearts of ours today. We thank you for the earthquake that came this morning, the 5.1, which was God's hand on the shoulder of Los Angeles, saying, "'If my people.' Help us not to be afraid of these disasters but help us to know that they are omens sent from a father to wake up his boys and his girls. We thank you today that you love us. We thank you that in spite of our ugliness inside, you still see us as beautiful because of your grace and your mercy. We thank you that Whatever the sin, however bad, even for those who are engaged in child pornography, there is mercy at the cross. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Today, our Father, we would do just that. As we're praying with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed in the presence of our Father, how many would raise a hand and say, This is a message to my heart today and I want to raise my hand to say I want to respond to God's wake-up call. Would you raise your hand? If you can say, Lord, this is for me, it includes me, I need this message, I need this wake-up call, and today I humble myself and I pray and I turn from my wicked ways, And I come as the boy in the Rembrandt. I come to the Father of all mercies. Dear Father, bless the upraised hands. Bless the upraised hearts. May the message of God sink deep into every heart. We thank you. We bless you. We praise you for forgiveness and acceptance in Jesus' precious name. Amen.